Hi, my name is Aviva Silverman, and I will be having a conversation with Eve for the New York City Trans Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans identifying people. It's March 8th, and it's being recorded on Zoom, and I'm in Queens, and Eve is in LA. Yep, I'm in Los Angeles. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that's so awkward. That's fine. Um, okay, yeah. Thank you for uh, talking to me today. Yeah, thank you. Could you introduce yourself? Yeah, um, I'm Eve. I am a writer and artist, among other things. Uh, and I currently live in Los Angeles, having a lot of mixed feelings about that this week. Um, and But before 2020, I was living in New York City for almost 10 years, or like, Actually, almost exactly 10 years. So. Mm, okay, well, we'll get to all the leaps, how you got to where you are yeah. now. Um, I guess we can start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Rochester, New York. So very, um, very quintessential upstate New York community. <laughs> yeah, um, near Toronto. And what was that like? Um, I mean... Damn, like, you know, the thing is, and I've been thinking a lot about my upbringing lately because I, I write very autobiographically, um, but I I have such a, like, a, a like a, um, the way I remember things now in this state feels really different than, like, than how I felt them back then, if that makes any sense, like, now it is like I'm reflecting a lot about like just kind of how like you know like when I first became aware of my depression and when I also first became aware of my like gender identity back then it all just felt like this like this yawn of of just like you know really abstract boredom and long periods of things not happening or things just being maybe a little bit too quotidian for my life or whatever but looking back sometimes it feels like Rochester had something really really special to it that now I'm 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 looking for other places um and not just like like locationally like you know even in my mind or in like just kind of the weather or and the experiences that I'm cultivating here. Um, I guess one of the, it's it's safe to say that like being in Rochester when I was younger, it wasn't easy. Um, it was home, but it never really felt like it. Um, it was just me and my mom and she's really like popular there. She's very uh, well recognized and well liked. Uh, I watched her like ascend like over years because it's like it was just the two of us for a long time you know like moments like getting the gates to the or like the keys to the gates of Rochester or like you know you know uh, um, becoming like a you know a professor uh, opening her own theater all the accolades and stuff like that it made me very um, like it put like a lot of 
the light on me too, which was a little uncomfortable, I think, or I'm still kind of dealing with it in some weird way, or it's still, it still has not like kind of, I still have not released what that felt like and what that really did. Um, so that can be a bit tough. Hmm. hmm. And was there um, a religious background to your upbringing as well? No, well, my grandmother was really Christian. Okay, so like this is a fun little element about me. I used to sing in the choir. Um, my mother traveled a lot when I was younger and she worked a ton. So there were long stints of time where it was just me and my grandmother too. Or like, well, without her and my grandmother, which sometimes included my uncle and aunts, uh, uncles and aunts and cousins. And so... You know, I knew what I was doing every Sunday with her, just going to church. And I thought, I kid you not, because nowadays I think I'm inspired a lot by religion or like a, a spirituality. Any like any evidence that things are bigger than what they are here <laughs> and in this reality. And I definitely sensed that and felt that. Um in church growing up but of course was all the, like all too aware of like all of the like kind of social and the social dynamics that really eroded um those experiences for everyone involved uh moving from church to church and like, like little quarrels between people um my mother like understanding why my mother has so much di distance from uh christianity now uh Yeah, but that was, it was not like really my upbringing or like whatever, I guess it was, right? Because it was part of how I came up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like maybe, okay. I feel like the, the reason why I like kind of, and also, can you hear me fine? Is there too much happening? Okay. Um, I feel as though growing up, Like, I felt like I just had, I had, I had a bunch of different experiences that just felt like they were all their different lives. Um, school was its own life. Me and my mother was its own life. Me and my father was my own life. Me and my grandmother and church was a different life. And uh, those lives, like, didn't really touch each other so much. And... Like, of course they did, but it didn't really feel like it. I think that that was probably the, the start of my dissociative, like, kind of uh, temperament or whatever, was mm. splitting everything up. And do you feel like that's carried through to your adulthood? Like, ways in which things are compartmentalized? No, because now I feel like I want it all to be together and so I feel everything really intensely and I like kind of like holds like you know I, I've I've like positioned everything or like I'm trying to position everything so that there's like some sort of fluidity and like kind of osmosis between things uh I'm like challenging myself to be very present and I think that that lends itself to being just like mm. 
no like I want to like I want everything to kind of just assemble into itself and like kind of mesh into itself like all the different art stuff like all of the different um all of my different inspirations like all of the things that I think are talents that I have I want them all to just kind of speak with each other um and then also I want to kind of show all of those things as as the whole me as not part of me mm. yeah but it was not always like that no and when you were in Rochester as a child, what did you connect to? Like, what kinds of expression did you connect to? Mm, well, I was always a writer. Um, my mom is a writer, so I got it from her. And I I wanted to, like, report everything. You know, I like had, like, I had a whole Harriet the Spy kind of thing going on. It was super, like, like I want to know everything. I want to write everything down. I was that that girl. And um, so, yeah, like, I feel like that was that was the the biggest thing. But then additionally, like, uh, I started to get really reflective and like, and just kind of like walking around the city. Like I was was finding Rochester was super and it kind of still is so empty. Like there was a, some quality of it was stunted in the 90s because of the film industry. It's like Kodak is there. So when people switched to digital film, then it really took a lot of business. They had to downsize, fired a lot of people, you know, uh, the poverty, like just kind of the look of the city and the the general kind of like energy around those spaces where like there was a lot of movement and a lot of energy. And then, you know, suddenly it all just stops or disconnected. It was really palpable back then. And so there was so much like exploring I experienced. Like, or like there was so much exploring that I was trying to do where I was always like going places like just to observe what it felt like to be completely alone there. Like parking garages and sometimes galleries, art spaces, murals, um, parks. So there were like, there were so many times where I just felt like I was completely invisible there and in a good way, I guess. <laughs> uh I just tried to catch myself because that sounds like a cry for help, but it's like it was probably it was probably for the best. Just being able to um kind of like have a fantasy about like a place that like that was my home, but like also felt like it didn't exist at all. Um I don't know. That was like that was a huge thing for me. And then that lent itself to how much music I would listen to. I'm very obsessed with always had like you know an ipod or a zune or any mp3 player like since i was available like i just always had one because and i remember the first time i got one which i think i was like 15 15 14 i had no idea like what to even put on it because i only really listened to stuff that was like around the house or in the car or on the radio and I didn't like connect so hard to any of it, except for like that it was like, you know, like it was the culture. Like it's like, of course, I like grew up listening to Erica Badu or Laure um, Lauren Hill and uh, the like, you know, like the Fujis and most definitely like all the stuff like I was obsessed with, like the roots and stuff. But that was only just because my mom had all the CDs and she was like used to work for MTV at some point and like new people and blah 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 like that kind of thing um so yeah anyway when I first got 
<laughs> like a uh like a iPod shuffle. I didn't even know what to put on it because I was like, what's the point? Um, and then that provided like a prompt. Someone was like, well, you have to get into it because everyone has an iPod now. You have to like make your own music thing, like me, who never had like posters of people on my walls or anything like that. So yeah, I started becoming like a like a hunter for music on LimeWire sound or not SoundCloud back then. It's like MySpace and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah you get it um so yeah like those are the big three when I was oh and then one more was photography when I was younger I wanted to be a photographer I wanted to be a photojournalist and I wanted to win the Pulitzer Prize as a <laughs> child could you imagine <laughs> what were you photographing oh <sighs> I was always a poet like I was always taking pictures of like like a wind snatched tree or like a decrepit fence <laughs> like oversaturated black and white photos it's so moody I I'm oh, sorry I was just gonna ask if you felt supported in in being artistic yes absolutely rochester is like an extremely like creative community and my mother worked as an artist consultant as well so she would hire artists that were friends of ours to work in schools and after school programs and like for the boys and girls club and like all this kind of stuff so like i was always in the middle of somebody's project like if it was, if it was not like being photographed i was helping paint something or you know like sandpapering some shit and it was constant so I definitely like what the things that I wanted to do and the way that I wanted to be was like mostly accepted I think except for when it became like expressions of of like of just we don't have vocabulary for that kind of thing you know like that was when things got really complicated for family members and like other artists and stuff like that when it seemed like instead of inquiring it was like I just don't understand that part of you and I really I don't think I really want to know <laughs> like um especially like you know becoming more depressed or kind of never like masculinizing like at all like I, my first puberty did not happen until I almost left for college like I think and I was just like not like I think truly it confused some people around me so anyway I guess they just sort of chopped all of that up to just being your artistic <laughs> like even the ways that like I was physically expressing myself yeah it's like it's just just must be art somehow and how did you, <laughs> how did you relate to your gender at that time back then I didn't relate to my gender I didn't think about it. I thought that I never once had like a moment where I was like proudly or like happily like male and I never was like resistant and so far as like I want to be a girl to anyone. The only ways that it expressed itself like so that my transness expressed itself was privately when I was like thinking about what I was thinking about women as just being so um 
something actually seemed so like 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 that women could could be anything more so than men could and partly that was exposure sorry cat you coming over <laughs> um so that was one but then um the other is like Okay, like, okay, so the way that, like, the way that femininity, like, se seemed to work to me was that, like, you know, you're really lucky if you're a woman because of, like, how many ways, like, you physically can change, but then also this, like, inflated and super glamorous, um, like, Sailor Moon fantasy that was in, in my head about, like, those transformations that, like, only women could, like, could, could like activate like a uniform and become like like a demigod or something so in that way it was super weird and spiritual um yeah otherwise I just didn't think about it I didn't I didn't like I really am trying to remember because even as when you emailed me I was like do you have like trans memories as a child Sorry, please don't do that. Um, I'm like, no, not really, because I just thought my body wasn't changing and I was like, this is okay. And who cares about this body anyway? And I think from a young age, I was very like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. Like, I felt like kind of, uh, I felt saddled with, with, having a body and also existing for a lot of the time when I was younger. It felt like a chore and still sometimes does. Mm. Yeah. And um, and then how did you come to the city? Mm, I went for college. I always knew it was going to happen. I went like every summer because I have family there. And like I just thought it any like this was the only fun way I thought to completely change everything like to flip everything on its ass for me is like to just put myself in a position where I was going to like learn something as opposed to like thinking about it as far as colleges goes like I got into Columbia and I got into like uh, Sarah Lawrence and got into uh, uh, McGill in Montreal or something and I was just like I honestly like when I got into the new school and they gave me a good package I was like I this just seems to be like what's gonna happen and then I got somehow some weird summer program so I didn't even get my like senior summer to do anything which was a bit of a blow at first but it was like, whatever, like, I love to, to learn. It <laughs> sounds so apathetic, but I really did. Like, I'm like, I still love to learn. I wish, like, I, I relish the idea that I can go back to school and just, like, learn something else. I think that that was part of the transformation thing that really struck with me about, about, like, just humanness was education. That education could change you and make you into something so much grander. And I always, and still, I'm, like, I just want that. I just want to be made over by the things that I know. And 
So I went to New York and I went to the new school. I didn't really think about their programming or anything. I just knew that I was going to be surrounded by other people that were were interested in learning whatever trade or whatever thing. And then otherwise I would be in New York, which would be loud and colorful. And there was like, you know, it was always like, I think that that was the biggest part is being young coming here or coming to New York, like as a, like a, a 11 or 12 year old and just being like, it literally doesn't sleep. Like it's always happening. Whereas Rochester just gets so quiet. And I love that too. I relish that here in LA but in New York and I love it when it when I'm in New York too like those moments where I get like a really quiet moment but I really needed a backdrop of noise at that point and it felt like it could shake like kind of it could wake me up because I really did feel like I was dissociated throughout most of my time growing up once the depression hit I think that I just I that's something I mean kind of kind of turned off until I moved to New York yeah so what what else what woke you up in New York what were some of the things <laughs> um well like okay I have like a few a few things maybe I'll keep them to three really things that just like instantly flashed into my mind uh give me one second though thank you yeah Got it. Sorry. Like this cat is gonna knock some shit down. I'm gonna freak out. But um please stop. I know you're bored. Just stop. Um so three things. So one I just became such a stoner. <laughs> it was like kind of fucked. But like I think that at the time and like also, okay, this is there's like a grim component to this, but like I even before, like, okay, so my first puberty, as I was mentioning, I think that when things started to change, which were super, super, like, non-existent it, in hindsight, like, I just needed to um, gain control again. So I think that then I started, like, I just, like, part of the thing that really turned off that I needed to be reawakened was straight up eating I stopped like eating for a while and I just didn't really care I think that I I didn't really want to get muscular and I didn't really understand like what was going to change and stuff so I just like wanted to just stay thin so that like I could pull things onto myself and just like be fully clothed and it didn't matter that I thought that maybe I would like turn into some of the men that I grew up around which was completely unacceptable and I didn't think about it with that so like with that much in mind at the time but like now looking back that was definitely it I just didn't want to be like anything like my uncle anything like my stepdad anything like any of them and I was alone like I moved to the city, I was out of the house. My mom like didn't really seem like she gave too much of a shit. So I just like spent time like like by myself in my own like kind of fantasy of of being like a, a person, which just did not include uh treating my body nicely at all. With the exception of um clothes. So and and it was later fixed by 
you know, like I went to like a fashion school. So like I got told a lot, like, you know, like or people would hand me clothes and like put me in them and be like, you look so cute in this, whether it was like a dress or some short shorts or a big sweater or whatever. It seems like I looked good in everything because it was just some washed aesthetic, what have you shit, like about me just being skinny and and tall. And so oh and 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 also I guess like, you know, uh at the time androgynous was the word that everyone was using to describe me and other people like me so that drew me into fashion anyway like so that became pressure to keep looking like I could like maybe you know the more people tell you like you're pretty and you've never heard that before in your life ever heard that like and that like and that you didn't do anything for it and that you weren't like rich and you couldn't like afford all the things that seem to make other people so much prettier than you. Um, people saying that all the time was like, fuck, like, okay. And then I had pressure to just like stay pretty, as I thought pretty meant just skinny or something. Anyway, so I became a stoner because at some point that seemed to get out of control. I think that I was probably like in my second semester in college and it was just clear that I was... I had some close friends and it was clear that at some point, like I just didn't seem well, like I was dissociated, it was very thin. It was super sweet to people, but I just like was not like fully like present in front of people. I think like I just like malnourished or something. It was really bad. And so at some point a friend of mine caught me in like a kind of low moment and was like, hey, just come with me to my room or something and I went up there and he like he and this uh, this other girl who was a good friend of mine were like smoking a joint which was not you shouldn't have been doing in the dorms or whatever but um oh you're joining yeah you should have been doing that in the dorms but um I think that that was the initial thing that made me run out and I didn't smoke with them that time <laughs> But the next time I saw them, they were smoking out front and they were like, Eve, like, I think you'd like it. Like, it'll chill you out. I think that I seemed high strung to people back then or something. Or like I was I was never social because I was too busy in books or like passing, trying to get to classes. I was really good at school anyway, but they yeah, got me stoned. And it was hilarious <laughs> as, it, as it can be. And I, um, it healed me. It did. Or those friends healed me. Some of whom I'm still very good friends with. And that was that was huge. That was the biggest thing that I think woke up in me. I know that that was like a roundabout way of saying it, but it's just like I was on my own. I had like nothing, like I had no tools to to do anything for myself because I spent years ignore, ignoring that I needed anything um, at all. And it took to be like on my own and at the mercy of people that just don't know you and are also so young and in like a system that like in a system and culture that just was like in such insane flux, like to think like it was like the trans visibility resurgence at that time, like people were starting to be like, you know, Andres Prezik and like, you know, all of these kind of like more body mod, like kind of 
shock value overly tattooed people and stuff like that were like the like were fashion because people were getting super weird including like the trans body it was so weird and so like blah 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 blah, blah. and like and then they like you know people were attaching that to to any old person that they could just you know and we all were just like so confused <laughs> and um and still are fuck and still fucking are anyway that was a big one. Oh, and then um two more and i can make them shorter yeah uh two more to say that like one was fashion i always loved clothes i always loved to shop like well no i didn't i didn't know to shop i did love clothes though and i love thrifting and i just found it so comforting to be in a place where i was like learning while i was in stores like in the thrift stores, like learning about fashion history, just from like, like attaching like little blah, 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 blah. And like back then, like fashion was cheaper. Like you can get like OTA and like, like Norma Kamalian, like whatever was like, was cute and had been around vintage, like for much cheaper than it was now. So you felt like you'd find something and then you'd research it and then you'd be like, oh my God, this is so cool. And that's still why my closet is how it is. Cause I'm just like, I find the thing, like I find a really specific thing and I'm just like, I got it. And I'm never gonna let it go. And it's perfect because it took forever to make or it was made by like one person or it's from like 15 years ago. And also in that I learned about how clothes would look on me or like how, if I decided how I just started deciding how clothes should look like, look on me. I also, damn it, when I was younger, I like, you know, I thought I was a size 30 waist, size 12 shoe, like size medium t-shirt, some other like shit like that. I'm like, if that was ever the truth, it means that my clothes were always ill-fitting because it's there's just there was just like no way because when I got like to buy my own clothes I'd be like I would like think about these numbers or think about these sizes or these sections of where to get clothes or places to get and I'm sitting there and put something on and I'm like and probably stoned also and I look at yourself and just being like I where's the proportionality of this like I don't like you know, I'm hiding everything or I'm not gonna, I'm not accentuating any of the things that I like about myself. I started, I, I, I started to figure out that I liked certain physical traits of mine. Like I liked my skin in general and I liked like my legs. And I started to like, you know, maybe it's a little superficial, but like people would be like, your eyes are like almond shaped. That's so nice. Or your nail beds are like this shape. That's really cool. And I was like, Okay, so I put stock into all those little things. Anyway, I was turning into a fashion kid, basically. But it was also a way of, like, experiencing that I was, like, maybe not trans. I don't think it was, it wasn't that time yet for me. But it was, like, shit, I want, like, I, I don't look good in any of this men's shit at all. I look way better in this stuff. And I could just wear it. And it'd be fine. And it was fine, kind of. It wasn't always fine. And yeah, I guess maybe I'll just leave it to those. Mm. And um, were you involved in any other kinds of like social groups or communities outside of school at the time or? 
Mm. Not really. When friends like, well, my first year, no, but like second year, maybe friends started moving out of the dorms. They would like, you know, do little whatever, like they do a house show or a house party or something like that. But back then it like, yeah, college was like, those are all the people that I knew basically, except for like some family members and occasionally like people passing into New York or passing, you know, passing through, it'd be like, that was it. Or when friends would take me to things that were, this will be much later, but like when people like started taking me to like the club or whatever later, then that's when I found like my friends and my community. Uh, But I, before that, it was just, it was just all us at that damn school. <laughs> On those damn campuses. So what did you do when you left college? Well, I left school and I moved in with, oh my God, where did I live first? Jeez. Oh no, I remember. Okay. Yeah. I like moved to this place in like, in like Bed-Stuy with some people that I was starting to learn like I was learning how to DJ at that point and you know like clubbing like I was I went to like you know like the original spectrum and stuff like that and like that's where I met like like elders who like became really good friends of mine now but like that they were just like who are you and like I don't know <laughs> and they're just like okay well you know drink water you know make sure go, use the buddy system could you describe what the old spectrum is for people that don't know? Oh, yeah. Well, so the spectrum was, it was like something. Okay, so it was a, technically a house party or like a house venue in, I want to say like Williamsburg. Gosh, I still don't remember exactly where that place was. Where <laughs> is that Bushwick yeah it's I don't know like the trains or stuff like that I feel like I always had to get in a car there because it was like I was arriving at like 1 a.m and like I wasn't trying to be fucking with the trains wearing like a mini dress or something like that but yeah like you like walk into this like townhouse and it just spills into like a like a warehouse venue <laughs> it was so random and abstract and it's like kind of like chain link fence dividers on the walls it was like full of gay people and trans people it felt like it was like the you know I use this word like in a like kind of in a jokey way but it was like something about it was truly edgy because it seems like you were doing something wrong and it lasts like so right and not everyone could go and not everyone could be there and you wouldn't know unless somebody took you right like, or, you know, Instagram was happening, but, like, you really would not know unless somebody was taking you at that point for me when I was younger. And so I arrived with, like, some people who are now, we're all grown, and we all do whatever our thing is, but we were, like, the kids walking in there, like, trying to be like everybody else. And, you know, like, it's, like, you had to navigate a lot of shit. Like, it's, like, there's, you know, gay men, like, having sex there, and you're just, like, not trying to get preyed on, and, like, the cops would come and just stare like, which was, you know, like, like an agreement I'm sure that they had so that the place could, that gauge could keep the place open. 
but I saw some of the most insane sets ever. I met some of the people that like will change my life. I like made like a I made a short film in the at the spectrum with like a cot like but it <laughs> oh my god this is let's back a crazy memory but I made like a college short film that featured like a, a scene in the special where basically we all went to the special and I brought people there like from my class like who would just who would have never been there before being like this is the thing like we need to get the shots like let's do this thing of people playing in the club and it was beautiful but in hindsight it was just like even that just felt so part of why uh what really changed nightlife in in New York was like suddenly we were just bringing any old person into a place like that it was my fucking fault <laughs> no but not actually but like it was you know it felt like it was partly due to me being like making it into an art experience so like making it trying to document something that was so like I don't know how to describe it, but it, that did that it later changed everything was experiencing and finding nightlife. That is basically what I did when I left college was I, I found nightlife. I was looking for a job. I didn't know where to look. I didn't know what I was fucking good at. And I like had worked doing like programming and shit like that. And Rochester in the mayor's office and then at the new school in the admissions office and then you know like I had done oh like while I was in, I also like I did like a performance at MoMA PS1 while I was in college with a friend of mine who we're not really close anymore which is pretty sad but did this performance there and I started thinking I could actually do art like how could I, like who the fuck like the first thing that they ever do was that like um was I moved my PS one? I was like I felt like so honored by that, like humbled, but also just so honored to have that experience. And I think that something about that had a nightlife component to it that made it so that like it just made New York seem like it could be nightlife and art, and that could be my life. And for a lot of people, people still hope that that is true. And then it works out for some people as well. But I was, um, that was what I was clawing at, clawing in the dark for. And how'd that go? Well, in a lot of ways, it was huge. I learned how to DJ. I got to play on bills with like some of my like favorite people. One time, Juliana Huxtable had me play her shock value party and Bjork stood on the stage while I was spinning. That yep. was crazy. What'd you say? Epic. It's, yeah. Yeah, like that. <laughs> that is really crazy. <laughs> yeah, like like weird shit like that happens. I like did like performances at the Whitney. Um, did like it also like this sounds like oh my god I like want to just say really quick for myself when I listen back to this is that I will get like I am still doing like all of these things but like you know I don't want it to sound like this was my life and then I moved to LA and then it all just like I fell to shit it's like it didn't happen like that a lot of really important things are still happening in my life but, but looking back fondly it all just the things that I remember the most are the are these huge huge moments and I hadn't been like struck with like bourgeoisie boredom until I like moved out of the city because I was constantly working um because it because it was what everyone else was doing it seemed like 
everyone else that I wanted to be like like a really full inbox sending out invoices every week and just like spilling into each other's like practices and like meeting people and like getting so close and yeah but um but I all that to say back then like maybe a stretch from 2014 wait 2015 I'll say to 2019 those were like that four years was just everything was happening all the time nonstop. and working closer with artists like I also was Juliana's assistant briefly I worked with Kate Hardy I worked with like Nick Kay briefly for this thing for the new museum Christy Demezio like I met like you know I met all these people and then I started working with them in one capacity or another and all the while, like, trying to figure out what my own practice was going to look like still feels unclear. But um, at some point, I'll, maybe I'll skip ahead a little bit because into, no? <laughs> Should I? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, in 2017, I, I put out a book. And I was, well, it wasn't my first book. But I was invited to put out a book by someone. Uh, and actually, I have to inch back a little bit. You know, before the book came out, I started a reading series called Fox Wedding. Reading series. It was at a beer bar in, in Bushwick. Uh, the first one was the day after Trump was elected. <laughs> uh The okay, the reason why I got like so washed by this because this was like a passion thing for me. I always loved poetry. I think I don't think I gave enough, I didn't talk enough about how much I love poetry and how much that's always been with me so far. I've been writing like in my journal, writing little poems, essays, and stuff like that since I was a child. And so I studied poetry at school. And I was like writing every day, everything that I was, everything, everything that, like no matter what went wrong, so much work came out of it. And that's what, like, it was so generative, which is so fucked up to, when you think about it. But like, I, so much was going wrong also. And I needed like a way to like decode all of it and to string everything together in a way that felt like like softer than just like recounting like all of the fucking you know abuse sometimes it was it felt like um just being poor and the rejections and like trying to navigate sexuality and like I've been attacked in the city like just trying to be like myself at that point and like I was like, I was kind of crumbling. And also what was coming was like Trump. <laughs> and it was like, nobody was ready for like what that meant. Like, or like how how goofy that was going to make everything seem. So, you know, I spent like a good 
chunk of time that year being like, but he's going to win to people. And hosts are really like, Eve, like you are underestimating like the <laughs> like democratic process or some fucking shit like that. So when it happens, it was like, and also while that was all happening, I was like, girl, I'm not worried about that because I'm trying to build community around this thing that has been preserving me, which was poetry. And I was coming into contact with so many people who did everything else. So I was like, why don't you write? And let's do like a, a reading. And I was going to this beer bar all the time because I was a freak. Like I was the one trans person that would go in there, like just to sit with all the other straights and whatever and just drink my little uh, craft beers or whatever. So one day I just was like, would you let me do this reading here? They were like, sure, whatever, I don't care. Um, went to a noise show that night, uh, like the night before. Uh, I saw this artist called Secret Boyfriends. He stops his performance and goes, so Donald Trump is the new president of the United States of America. He put like, he turns, like he yanked like the speakers so that they faced each other and just like blasted feedback in the room and left. <laughs> and left. So mm -hmm. I was just like, like that was how that all started. And then also, by the way, everyone that was there was like people that were going to be at my thing the next day. So they were just like completely like in disarray when we're walking out of there. Everyone's like, okay, we'll see you later. Yeah, tomorrow sounds great. Wouldn't you know, it was full of people. It was full. That bar had never been that full before. They all had said it. They were like, and it was all familiar faces, friends, people that just needed sanctuary from all of what it's what what it seemed to mean. And we did this fucking reading. The first reader was Nico Fuentes, who's been who's in the archives. And Nico did a really, really, really haunting poem called Making Plans. And it was so good. And back then, like we were, we were, we were, we were this close. Um she was like my she is my sister. And back then, like she was like my sister mother. And uh I needed her. Uh, I needed her in all the ways to make me feel like it was all going to be all right. Um, and to keep me to thinking, like thinking ahead, thinking about like who I could be and also like grounding myself in such ways like eating, DBT, like getting hormones that started, you know, just, it was just about to happen, just about to happen. Anyway, we did the reading and it was perfect. I ended up doing it for a while after. They never paid me a dime, those motherfuckers. Um, but that's how that shit goes, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, you know? Uh, filling it out, like, you know, every two weeks. Full of poets. Good, good, good vibes. So many close people. I had readers that, like, one of my readers good friend um just got married yesterday and she's been like she read at my book launch which happened the following year i put out a book called eve eyed solstice can you say that again eve eyed solstice was the book and i spelled eve like 
my name because at the time I hadn't changed my name yet. And so some part of this book was like, like a whole like kind of way of processing all of this, like they were love poems. They are love poems. And a lot of them are about being in love while being like being, being in love as a woman loving people like not just like men a love interest or anything like that but like loving other women and loving loving like just a community loving hosting and yeah I was like I wrote this fucking I have written all these these poems and I put them together and like this boy had asked me who I invited to read <laughs> he asked me to pray <laughs> he asked me to to put a book together and we put it out I made a really, really beautiful opening for it or like, you know, book launch. And that was the day I started hormones. <laughs> it was at that book launch. It was the first day I took a pill. I went to Cal Lord right before in 2017, got the pills, went to go and see Nico and like who was gonna read. M and Macy. The girls like it was like all at that point it was they were all, my only friends were just other dolls and i was like i got them and i remember i love this memory so much so it's like the pills it's like you know like it's like everyone wants to be like oh do you feel any different immediately or something like that no of course not it wasn't like that but i did this reading and like wore this really beautiful kind of like silky garment thing it's really cool and flashy and um Everyone else who read was beautiful. Juliana read and it's a beautiful backdrop. It was just everything about it was just so, so wonderful. Um, and at some point I went to like Nico's house. And it was like also my friend Quay, Quay Dash was there. And like I can't remember someone else was there too. And but it was all girls. And we're like getting in the car, and like we're like squealing, like running to get in this like big truck. I just remember like Quay and Nico kind of like pulling me in either direction, just like trying to, you know, like in this kind of hilarious, probably pre-drunk blur of trying to get into a car to head to like an after party or something like that. They're just like, Do you feel it? Do you feel like the sisterhood? Do you feel the estrogen? flowing and I just felt like I was like caught in a whirlwind of like girls just like casting this crazy spell on me anyway I made a bad decision I went to I moved to LA then like a dumb bitch I like maybe two days later I like got on a flight came to LA thinking I was going to like do like live here for a while I don't really remember exactly what was happening I think I couldn't find a place to live and I was like I think I was going through a breakup or something, dealing with these fucking annoying asteroids and stuff like that back then. And so I just, um, I went to LA and I didn't do a whole lot of anything while I was here except for feel my transition, which in the beginning was not very comfortable. <laughs> it was not great, very comfortable. I, something about like the change in my composition, like I was like, I couldn't really digest like food for a while. I was like really nauseous all the time. And I was like so hormonal, like weeping 
slash fainting slash hungry and like can't eat it's just uncomfortable and then all the while still looking for something to do here which i'm still kind of in that moment right now because i tried to move back here and it's just hitting the all too familiar la lull of like what the hell do people do here i was like i was so lost and i didn't have any of the girls here you know with me so the beginning was really rough and I was like with I was kind of seeing somebody and like I love him and it's on and off on and off and I love him to death and it wasn't really working out but it was a lot to be like transitioning during like with him like right there because I'm just like not feeling like any sort of a human it was like the first moment where I'm starting to think of myself as not as as correcting my body or transforming it because again before that still just so dissociated from it just like didn't think about my body just couldn't really think about it couldn't be damned could not be bothered and so now I had to think about it like as things were shifting anyway I moved back to oh no wait yeah I attempted to move back to New York I moved to New York and you know met with like a lot of I miss you started working again DJing a bunch. I was staying in like Brighton Beach at the time. I would do that like hour, hour and a half commute to get to like Bushwick and stuff like that for gigs, just to see people, to be social, to like to like to have a sex life. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. Like Brighton Beach was not very conducive for that. It's a lot of chasers and stuff like that but it was not giving like social like no it was really really rough that was scary that was very last resort wear and so I like moved like I you know I was doing so much commuting so much moving and it felt like an injustice I think I was like I work way too fucking hard for all this shit like why am I here mm. so I then I got this residency you know, because art stuff was picking up again. My first big residency was also right before I left for um, for LA in 2017. That was with the new museum. That was my, like, that was the, the first moment where I had stuff on a wall. I, had a, I shared a show with Tao Lewis, who's like one of my closest friends. And that's how I met her and I love her. And that was, that was huge. From what I heard, like, I think that at some point there was like a bit of something seems like contentious or something was was up. I remember like someone was like kind of mad at me or like disappointed with the work that I produced or something. And I felt like when I moved in 2000, like when I moved to L.A. like in 2017, I was like running away from all of that. I was like, like. I was like starting to question if I had a community here or in New York. So when I came back, it was really nice to receive like that, like that it was still there, but it's still the same issues, still the same like kind of class stuff and cloud stuff was getting way worse at that point. It's like a whole new cast of girls had just like landed back into, you know, like it was just like a lot was fluctuating. So when I got a residency, I had applied to while I was in LA, um, I got a residency in Senegal and I ended up going to Senegal 
to study performance art, performance art and um, like fine art. This artist called Tracy Rose, she was really cool. And I always really liked her work even before that. I think I did something for like Performa with her and M. Lamar. And, uh, but I, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Senegal was great. I've always been like traveling while trans should not be like a thing. You know, like, like it shouldn't be like some sort of like a complication. And also I was not determined that people were really seeing me at all anyway. I think I read very much so as non-binary. I like never grew my hair out and stuff like that. So I always kind of, I guess people just assumed that I like was like some boy passing through until they got closer, which is what I found out. Senegal and then my subsequent travels to South Africa, no, Nairobi, South Africa, Egypt, Berlin, Paris, Marseille. That was all like one half a year of traveling or like, you know, of, of being not at home. The, in 2000, like at the end of 2017 or whatever, I think, or was it 2018? I can't remember. Anyway, but like, um, yeah, I got to Senegal and like, it was, it was mostly really good, but I dealt with like a lot of transphobia there. Um, I like, while I was, yeah, while I was studying, studies were fine. Something happened that made everyone like to kind of put a fissure in between the group. I was like accosted by the military in a public place, interrogated about my gender. They um, like kind of pulled me to the side into a kind of a very kind of private tent kind of thing. And like it kind of attempted to like remove clothes and stuff like that to see me. And it was like, I like, you know, they all had guns and stuff. So I was just like, I kind of put up with enough of it that I could until I felt like I was like wearing a, like it was, it was so bad. Like how I, my fear about it was so bad that I've changed about this, something like this happening. I mean, was I, I wore so many clothes in Senegal like to cover myself up I wore a binder there I was doing everything it seemed to just like avoid being looked at which really you know burned my ass when I was told by the director of that residency that if I had tried harder to assimilate then something like this would not have happened so just I had really tried so when it seemed like they were like determined to get me to take off my shirt to see if I was wearing a compressor then I ran. I was like chased by guns. I like jumped into a car with my friend Alberta and she had no idea what was happening. Like she didn't realize until she looked back in the car and saw like a row of men like with guns like pointing towards the car. And then I like I didn't leave the house for like a, two days. I didn't leave my room but I was staying in there for two days. Anyway, it made like the entire thing fall apart. It seems like people, half the people were like, can we just get on with the residency? Whatever Eva's experience, like she bought it on herself. And the other half was like, how do you guys not see like that? This is all like, oh, like this is gross oversight on this program's like 
they did not want to have a conversation really they were like they were but like bizarrely upset by my attitude about the whole thing about how not safe I didn't feel or how unsafe I felt they like didn't really like like the check-ins were super like well the check-ins from like the highest up were super like I really don't know what to tell you whereas like the people like you know select people that were closest to me were all just like how do we stop this from ever happening again and like we need like a you know an airtight understanding about like the the law here and how to anyway I find I was bought out someone offered me a ticket to uh, to South Africa and like I think it was like 1200 euros it was just like go it'll be easier for everybody wow <sighs> yeah so I went <laughs> mm-hmm yeah, that's, that was scary and so extreme. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that fucking fucked up? I um, I still don't really, and I know that it's something I've had to tell the story a few times, like just like in passing. Like usually, it's it ends up becoming like a really funny on to be like, yeah, like well, the one time I got like <laughs> chased out of Senegal by the military, um, but. It's not something like I I really have no way of processing it. There's no there's nothing I can I don't think I can do anything to really think about how bad that that all could have been. How much way how way way worse. Um. Mm. Yeah, and it's and it's it's definitely kept me from, you know. It has shaped like what traveling looks like for me because now I'm just like shoot like very shook about like traveling anywhere that's not like the parts of europe i've been to and like i mean like i'll go places right but i'm super like like i won't like i feel like i leave something like leave part of me behind most times i travel because i'm i'm so like i want to just kind of shut myself into like into you know the <laughs> whatever confines of of low visibility which is damn near impossible for me it's what I'm discovering because no matter like what I how I cover up people are always like just just this and it's like enough for people to just like get closer and just like to look in my face to get like closer because of something and like how I walk or whatever and those inquiries of course of like mostly been really sweet i think people just being like stopping to just be like you're so pretty or like men flirting or something like that like you just have to be like well it's better than actually getting like straight up called a tranny to your face or like beat upside the head or removed from a plane or any of the other things i've heard have happened to trans women just flying places as long as i never have to deal with the military again i think i will be fine because that was just like they had like they it was so bad that they they knew where I lived they stayed in our neighborhood they like people deployed to nearby just to just to keep an eye out for me if I like left 
alone. So I'm like, Mm -mm. I'm happy you got out. Yeah. yeah, me too. Me too. Um, I was wondering if we could back up a little since um you kind of went through some phases of your life quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you could just um describe your gender as you feel now. Well, um, I feel like a trans woman, but sometimes I feel like womanness feels not as no okay let me not say that when I was younger I like I as I told you I was thinking to be a woman was like you could be anything and that there was something so infinite about womanhood that did that man manhood just like could not encapsulate now it's not about like how I identify it feels very much so like I just my ex my trans experience just feels like it's not like connected to a lot of people's because of like a lot of things like I have really close friends but we all just seem so different like the things that we want and the ways that we want to be and we're all just trying to survive like in this world I don't think that like what I am like should like the trans part of me is like definitely the me part. The womanness, it just feels like sometimes I'd be like, damn, if y'all want it that bad, just keep it. You know? If it's at the risk of like of confrontation and like and also like, you know, internalized trans misogyny, fucking transphobia and stuff like that with other people and like their trans bullshit like I mean no shade but like but like in and like in the in so far as to say that like I don't want to fight for what it is that I think I already have you know and sometimes I feel like trans womanness feels like it comes with like with the fist of like and also I'm gonna be right here at the front line because none of you hoes are gonna be there with me or like I'm gonna be educating every single motherfucker for you know i'm like yeah it's infinite and in that like there's infinite fucking work actually is the truth that i didn't realize is that the infinity of womanhood seemed like labor or like it's like that the expectation to inexhaustibly give oh the generosity it seemed like it was like something that i wanted to, to i and i do want to give like it's like all i oh my god like you know like i'm an over gifter like and i want to just like give everything everybody everything but frankly more recently I just feel so tired and I feel like that's partly because of how many ways my proclamations of self have been attached to the work I do and so I had to work overtime because of visibility because of just being a face in the in the wash of faces and then on top of that being black and then you're just like also just doing the same shit but like as a black woman for for all of the rest of everybody else I'm like feeding these kids ah. and like with all that said I could not see in fact I'll go even further the way that I am is what I hoped to be from if I ever had a hope when I was younger I think that what I look like and who I am now is what I wanted definitely but 
but and also <laughs> like and also I just didn't understand I didn't how could I have known back then some of the missed opportunities that I had because of the limited education and like the just the frailty of of my own community growing up and so like my elders and their limited capacity to think beyond what I was and what I could be but additionally like like how, like how could I have like known like that even within you know womanness like I would feel like I'd have to like that I, I, I had to outwork other women or like that I had to like or I had to you know work so hard for like the kids or like just people who are not my goddamn kids <laughs> like their you know their expectations of what they want from women and what they want from black women I could not have known except for watching black women around me and sitting there misguidedly thinking and they and yet they give and yet they keep giving and yet, in all the glamour, through the tears, the blood, through the loss and the happiness, they're still giving. How's it possible? Can I be that? I want to be that strong. I might not be that strong. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. Um. All that to say is, I think trans women will suffice for now. And how have you seen like trans or um, queer community or life or like nightlife change over the years when you were in New York? Well, for one, I think that should be So queer nightlife meant something really specific to me growing up, growing up, like from that point at the at the spectrum on. Because queerness, from how I understand it, meant like subversions of the static quo, a status quo, speaking specifically of gender, but then adjacently like with your sexuality and how you express your sexuality as like a, as a form of gender, you know? So like I think that trans women were like the the pinnacle of like what I thought nightlife queer nightlife was is that trans women were not like ornaments in a nightlife like they were the creators of the nightlife hosts bartenders DJs like that was what queer nightlife meant to me and that like around them were people that wanted that what they what they had they wanted the music they wanted to be as close to the music as close to the body like their bodies as possible they wanted you know them hosting the parties because it's not a party unless those girls are there and they wanted them like serving you know drinks or whatever like that just because they were keeping like the temperature of that space that's what queer nightlife meant to me and then therefore queerness meant to me that like it meant it meant like it meant like kind of this this kind of confrontation with the culture. Queer meant like not being accepted just because of what people think they know about you. It was like 
to look a certain way and to blur all the signifiers and to interrupt spaces in that kind of in that performance of your gender or whatever like that to be like commissioned by those places you know the invitation as like a person who is trans or gender forming into like a gallery to play to dj or to do a performance or something like that like that was the queer that was part of it was that you were being acknowledged not because of the trans visibility resurgence what have you superficial what have you it was like because you were like, like multi-hyphenated being yeah. yes it was just like you just there was so like you were like a battery for all of this generative energy people want to like know what it is you could do with a space like that and it created like a lot of very subversive content <laughs> and like some really really legendary people it made a lot of people realize and take notice like i remember like queer hip-hop Listen, I don't know, like, about now, like, I don't really know, like, uh, like, I'm not even going to comment too much or like, but like, but back then it was like going to an Afropunk show where it was like, Leaf, Mickey, Block. wait, no, was it Mickey? Like, I remember I went to two different shows, one, and they were like the same weekend. One time I went to see Danny Brown and Leaf at the same show, which was just like, ridiculous and really excellent. I get to see Leaf for like a a tall kind of bun with like bl of blonde braids and a red hood by air like suit hood by air was really queer like you know and like so seeing my favorite tracks by leaf like the queer hip-hop artist of like all time you know like a, like partly at that time it's you know still friends and still someone who like who is just like so extremely talented and really just like reset the culture with his involvement in, like v file and like with fashion and like with music and the music videos and like, all of it anyway seeing him and then danny brown and then being like oh and now i'm into detroit rap too you know like that felt like a really queer experience it was the same you know developing my huge i should not say that <laughs> i was oh whatever i don't give a fuck like it's like i have like a huge crush on boy child at that point and I was just like, yeah, you know, like, we we're all just like, you are the hottest person, like, ever. And we all are just like, what a freak. Like, give me a hug with all that paint on your face. Or like, like whatever. Like, like it was, <laughs> you, you get it. But like, I'm just like, I was truly like, I was, I went to a Mickey Blanco show to see because Boy Child was going to perform. And I was like through the roof I saw like god yeah anyway like all of those things have been like those were the queer like nightlife moments now I think that now I think that because of visibility not because of but uh, as a component of visibility and also of like let's just stop there like as a component of visibility like people have felt feel way more entitled to parts of the culture that I felt like were so exclusively for people like me not to say that like I was the exclusive audience for whatever it's just like now the girls like you know are gonna out buy tickets to the functions where the dolls are playing and keeping you know certain kids out that really need to go there or like the fact that like ghetto gothic doesn't exist anymore is kind of like kind of heinous in some weird way because it's like not to say that ghetto gothic was the thing like like you know that was the pinnacle of it it's just to say that like 
you know, something about it becoming mainstream sort of, in essence, eradicated it. And so now it feels like what is what I thought was queer nightlife gets bought by like Nike and stuff like that. So, right. <laughs> I don't just that's just is what it is like it's like it just is different and it's a different exchange in those spaces back then it felt like it felt like I felt like I was tapping into something at some point and I was so lucky to be there when it was happening too in yeah. fact in, in a lot of ways I'm a product of it um just because of the ways of my own involvement in it and like the jobs that I got because of trans visibility what have you i feel like i don't want you to name because i'm just like what are if if there's some parts of some of that left that's still raw and not commercialized or like <laughs> some like influencer i'm like maybe we shouldn't even name what it is but i'm like do you feel like <laughs> that's um, that aren't <laughs> like sponsored well um what is it you okay um <laughs> What uh I let me think. I mean the thing is also let me just okay, I'm I'm maybe I won't answer that just because I have to make it clear that it's also so cool to see some people who were like my faves when I was a kid, kid, like become like the shit or seeing them ascend now and it's just like yes. I you know what? Okay, here's an example of someone. Some part of me like wants to say like like LSD XOXO like just I'm just gonna call out an artist that's super cool that's just been around and I'm just like I think I I really love how I just like the way that he does like he's crafted his career and positioned himself as an artist I like that there's like a kind of segue happening into like pop stardom and um because I remember just being like fortunate to like go to a set and see LSD XOXO like this close and like get into those, you know, whatever. And like also like all of the mixtapes and Vogue beats and stuff like that for Case to Killer, Case to Killer and uh, fashion shows and whatever that he was doing. Like in some ways, I just find that like that's an example of someone who like has kind of like who's still like just who's still tapped in and doesn't feel very like ran through <laughs> should not say that but yeah but like of course there are tons of other artists that I'm just like you guys are huge still have crazy careers like still doing the thing um but there are no more like DIY venues in in the city or they're coming back now I think but not how they used to be. Like, not how, like, you could, like, go to these, like, spots and get real intimate with somebody's practice and then, like, talk about it after and feel like y'all were friends. Mm. Were there um, other venues that you can name that were of that era? Oh, um, Palisades. Okay, loves Palisades. I loved um, Secret Project Robot. Happy Fun Hideaway still exists, so get into it. Uh and happy happy one like has a huge uh, sauce spot i must say uh for just like all the different ways i got to interact with people i think are legends there um i'm trying to remember the grove 
The Grove was a spot. Super cool. Uh, there used to be a party called the Chocolate Factory Parties. It was at the McKibben's Lofts. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah, like just like and then Spectrum. Spectrum in both iterations, actually. I don't know if Spectrum's back now. I, they're like nomadic. They like pop up at other clubs. They do think yeah the but both of those venues like those are i mean the ones that i'm I'm thinking of like um yeah like that the kind of smaller house venue and then later the bigger um spot super super cool yeah those are like my diy like thoughts right um, yeah yeah so what are you up to now now i just wrote another book and I'm like kind of in the process of figuring out like what how I want to show it and if I'm going to self-release it like self-publish it or if I'm going to like you know I pitched it to something and I'm kind of waiting to hear and sorry oh yeah it's poetry yeah with like like maybe like one one essay in that book and I've been doing like a lot more essay writing like started a patreon and tried to do more feature writing on artists um I would love to just do more interviews with with people as well um and I've I found like a lot of like comfort in like archiving because I'm a really dissociated person it feels nice to like come back to capsules and like kind of keep like that are itemized or somehow like really legible ways of like looking at history or really specific points in time so there's a lot of that happening but also right now I'm just like desperately trying to I know this but like just trying to like have like own my life through like the dissociation and the depression because I think that there's just a lot happening especially right like this week you know like it's been psycho to think about the word eradication and transgenderism being in the same sentence uh which like just completely mirrors like some fuck shit that was going on in the 40s you know and like in new york like in the you know 60s 70s so it's just like the cyclical nature of 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 this sort of oppression like if it's not one aspect of my identity it's the other at this point and it feels like being strained through like like just graded through like through some some really unforgiving like machine of some sort to just have to have to hold myself together so hard because no one is going to do it for you mm. and I just want to like like I'm like I'm fighting so hard to stay like to keep a sustainable eve happening so it's just like a lot to be like like also thinking about like having to think about like a future of like a future underground or future on the run uh future violence the summer 2020 was like 
you know, was hard as hell for like everybody, but like to think about how much of my time I was like protesting or facilitating dialogues or crowdsourcing or donating or literally on the streets of LA, like in people's studios, like making protest bags, listen filtering through messages of people i'd never will meet discussing like their issues like sleeping like their body aches their so and i'm speaking now of like of i was the co i'm the co-founder of something called the herbal mutual Aid network which aimed to give people sustainable herbal care it asked like let the record show it asked way too much of me at that time it still sometimes does. And I am fucking exhausted from it because that's something else that you, I spent so much time trying to facilitate healing for other people that I still myself clearly have not healed. And I am like, and I'm still paying for all of that. And I don't want to fucking keep having to do shit like that again. Like, I don't want to have to keep, like, I don't want to have to keep putting myself on the line. And because that Marta shit is so tired. And it's like, and especially for, for this, for this body, like all of the things, like all the ways that I've already had to change and I've had to become and wisen up. I'm like, at this point in my life, I thought that I could start thinking about like starting a family or like, or like just being a good fucking person. So right now I'm just worried, worried about the last one. I just want to be a good person. I just want to be a good girl. Mm. Um, I guess since we're wrapping up a bit, I was wondering if there's anything you, you want to add to the record. Um, <clears throat> through some of these lessons and it's I mean it's interesting to hear about your um you know aid work your mutual aid or the ways that you've given care mm. um. I don't know I mean like fuck I think I don't really know what I, what is left to say besides, I just hope right now, no, I don't hope. I have faith that the most powerful things of the universe are conspiring for good. And that good is something that is going to change in a lot of different ways. Like it's changing so much that we can't grasp really what it is. So I think that you just have to figure out what you think is good and just try to own that shit and try to beat that shit. And really, and once you and once you've got something good, once you think you've got something good happening, then you know, protect it at all costs. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you.